a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello, I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story Welcome. of Star Wars. Another chapter is here. This is Don't Burn the Sacred Text, your official Clashing Sabers uh, book podcast. That's what we're doing, right? We're doing book podcasts? Are we going to talk about a book? Yeah, that yeah? is tonight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. and who's that voice there? Ladies and gentlemen, she is cooler than a battle droid tap dancing to Ewok music played on a Stormtrooper helmet. It's Lindsay. Ooh. It's true. I really am. <laughs> I try and live up to the hype. <laughs> you are one who actually does. So, uh, Lindsay, what's going on with you lately? What's new in your life? Uh, quite a bit. It's been a little while since you and I have been able to uh, come on and chat about some of these books, and that's really my fault. I was actually moving last month, which was quite a process, but I'm settled into my new home now and really excited for 2019. I know I have some stuff planned Star Wars-wise. I actually set up an Instagram, finally. I'm a little late to the game. Uh, but I set up an Instagram that I want to use over the course of the year to go along with the Fuel Your Force campaign that Star Wars is doing and really start to promote just healthy, active lifestyles that I've, I try and carry out and hopefully can get some other people to join me and use Star Wars to do that. Yeah, and we are actually uh, doing a little Facebook group for that. We did a little roll call kind of thing in our, our normal Facebook group um, and seeing who would be interested in doing some kind of, um, like you said, active lifestyle, healthy lifestyle uh, kind of thing. So we're doing a little support group slash contest. Um, so if you're interested in that, shoot us an email at clashingsabersnetwork at gmail.com or just come over and join our Facebook group and be awesome like all those awesome people over there. Um, but we're going to do this. Uh, Lindsay and I were talking about it, and it's really important to us that this is not a a lose weight um, number on the scale kind of thing. This is about actually making real changes um, so that you you can live a life that's more enjoyable. We're rewarding um, things such as like community service and spending time with your family and different things like that um, so that it's not just about like, oh, did I work out today and did I eat enough vegetables? Because it's so, like Star Wars, it's so much bigger than that. And so there's going to be a chance to win prizes and uh, a cool undisclosed, and by undisclosed, I mean I haven't figured it out yet, prize around <laughs> episode nine. Give it to us. Yes, it's top secret. Very, very secret. Um, so, yeah, anyways, if you want to want to come over and, and do that, uh, just let us know. And Lindsay, you came up with that idea of, you know, talking to me about wanting to do the Instagram account and trying to hook it up with Fuel your fit, uh, Fuel the Force, um, which I'm really hoping they do some some good stuff with. I'm hoping it's not just a, here's all these products that are Star Wars related because the Star Wars fitness products are so insanely overpriced. I'm a mm -hmm. big fan of on it and like the functional fitness and stuff. And I was like, oh, they have kettlebells that are out. And the kettlebells are like three times the normal price of a kettlebell just so that it's Darth Vader's head. Like, mm. It's it's insane. I'm hoping even if it is really product focused, which I'm sure it will be, I'm just hoping that if they saturate the market a little bit more, maybe these products will be a little more obtainable, a little less expensive there. Uh, more people can enjoy them. But no, I'm with you. I hope that it's not just focused on products and we do get some different uh, contests and some different call the actions that Disney will put out for it. Yeah, so it'll be really exciting. Um, other than that, like, what other kind of Star Wars stuff do you have planned this year? We're like, this is the first time we've talked uh, since the new year. What's, besides, like, the normal, you know, like, episode nine and, well, you're going to Celebration. You've got, like, the, the VIP tickets. Um, I am. I got off. the VIP tickets for Celebration. So I'll be... Uh, I'll be definitely reporting into you all the stuff that I find in the first few rows of those big panels. Um, oh, the first few <laughs> rows. You have to say that with your pinky in the air. 
<laughs> so casual. You can't see me, but I'm doing a nice little <sighs> and the nail rub. Uh, <laughs> this is a visual podcast, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> oh, man. It's like those old radio shows. Explaining everything. Oh, that would be yeah. so cool. They need to bring back. I would really love some more of the Star Wars uh, radio dramas. Have you ever listened to those? I have. I actually had an old coworker who put them all on a CD for me. Oh, that's cool. And he gave cool. them to me. He had them for, it was awesome. I still have them. It's just the problem is I don't have a CD player anymore. So now I just have the CDs and I'm like, maybe one day I'll be able to convert these. You can put them onto like iTunes. I could. I just need the external drive. For, oh, yeah. Yeah. That's the pain. Yeah. So I bought one a, day. One when day. I bought the new computer, I was going to like put my Star Wars music on there and I was like, oh, it doesn't have a it doesn't have a CD. Where's where, <laughs> new technology? Now. I play Game Boy still, ladies and gentlemen. If you hadn't heard me brag on social media, I got a Game Boy for Christmas because I'm cool like that. So that just shows you where I'm at technology-wise. Uh, you say because you're cool like that. I say because you have the best fiancé ever. She really is. The best fiancé <laughs> and future mother-in-law of all time. Uh, got me a Game Boy. And here's a crazy thing. If you didn't see the picture of it, this is a, a, an old Game Boy Advance, one of the ones that flips open. Went out of production probably, what, like 2005, 2007 at the latest? And oh, they Probably have, earlier, Yeah, yeah. They have Star Wars Rebels stickers that go on the Game Boy. And it's like formatted for the shape of the Game Boy and goes around the buttons and everything like that. I don't know how they found it, but I was literally like a kid in a candy store. So I. They are too good. I, uh, I got the Lego Star Wars uh, original trilogy and prequels, and I've beaten both of those. And now uh, I'm slowly moving some through some of the other games I have. I don't have any other Star Wars ones right now. But we found a used video game store that's all vintage stuff. So like Atari, N64, original PlayStations and stuff. And so they actually have a good selection of Star Wars games. So I'm going to have to go over there and uh, check some of those out. So maybe by 2046, I'll be up and playing Battlefront 2 and actually know what's going on. So stay that tuned for right. that. That's a, <laughs> that's a realistic goal for you, I think. <laughs> Slow and steady wins the race. <laughs> Slow and steady wins the race. <laughs> So today we are going to be talking about one of my favorite books. Um, and Lindsay, I know I don't know where this ranks in your ranking of the new canon books, but I know you hold it in high regard. Uh, we are going to be talking about a book by the best author in the history of Star Wars. I said it, and I meant it. At me, we're going to be talking Bloodline by Claudia Gray. So, just starting off, Lindsay, what is what's your overall impression of this book? I am such a big fan of this book. Um, it definitely is really high up there. I think for a while it might have been my number one in the new canon. But as we're getting more and more, it's it's still really, really high up there. Um, I think just in terms of Claudia Gray's writing and really solidifying her as the best author Disney has right now in terms of the characters that have already been established, the new characters she created, and just being able to paint the picture of where we're at in the galaxy, it's so important. And she did it in such an enjoyable way. I just had fun reading this book from start to finish. Yeah, and one of the things that I find really interesting about this book is it, it's really all about the build-up to uh, the start of the Resistance. That's the, the coup de grace at the end is the Resistance starting with, what, like 10 pilots and a, a pack of thermal detonators. Um, and it's really interesting that you have, like, the First Order going on and building, but they never actually, like, directly say it. Um, so it is, like you, know, like you said, one of those galaxy builders. And Leia in this book is, and this is why I love that Claudia Gray was also able to do Leia, Princess of Alderaan, which we'll get to uh, in a few few weeks here. She just understands Leia. She gets the character to a T. And I think that one of my big problems when it comes to the big three, um, and this is one of the issues I have when it comes to like reading the EU, is I don't feel like a lot of authors can capture the true feeling of the characters. Um, 
So, for example, like with Han Solo in the expanded universe, uh, you you get a lot of like "Don't tell me the odds" type illusion lines, and it when you overplay that hand, it just gets a little uh, you know a little old pretty quick. And Gray, I think, does this perfectly. It's like literally the same character you see on screen. It's aged perfectly. Um, and honestly, like if you didn't know any better, you could go watch A New Hope and think that Claudia Gray wrote Leia's character. Absolutely agree. And what's more impressive, too, is she did such a great job with it at such a high-risk time. Because one of the things that always sticks out to me when I think about this book isn't even just the plot or Claudia Gray. It's actually the buildup to this book being released. Because if you remember... It was released a couple months after um, Force Awakens, and it was really the first book that dealt with some of the stuff that was introduced in that movie. And to have this book be the entryway into this new trilogy on the page and to have this set up what we're seeing in the new trilogy, that's a really big undertaking. And I think if you wanted to play it safe, you would have just said, okay, we're going to focus on some new characters. We're going to dabble here a little bit. But to say, let's take on this massive, massive scale with the most loved character of all time, Claudia Gray somehow hit a home run with it. And it was just, I can't imagine what she was going through trying to write this. It's like, it's almost undefinable because it feels like one of those lightning in a bottle situations, but she's lightninged in a bottle three times. So I don't exactly. know if you could consider it lightning in a bottle anymore. Lost, lost stars, that's new characters. It's a little bit less of a risk. But to do it with this and Princess of Alderaan, it's just insane to me. She's She's on another level. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know... One of the things that really stands out about this book, like I mentioned, is it's that build up to the war. You know, we're about five years out. And this book is kind of what solidified my belief that there's not a lot that happens between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. Um, there's, you know, everybody wants content in that era. And I'm, I'm right there. And I think things like The Mandalorian and small scale stories like that. Um, are going to be really great. But in terms of a a large galactic scale, I don't think that there was a lot going on because when you start this book off, I mean, you have Leia who's just worn down with the politics of the galaxy and the back and forth between these two parties, um, which I know a lot of people had problems with because, you know, it's very much the Democratic Republican thing and it's a commentary on on our civilization. But I, I think... If you just look at history, it's a natural progression that happens um, in, in, in any organized group that you have. You always have these factions um, that start to build. And with such a big galaxy and with the focus being mostly on like building towards the resistance and so showing Leia's internal struggle with who she is, I think if you had gone and had like seven or eight different parties, it would have just gotten really messy. So, but you have these parties who are exactly where we are at in the prequels where they, they, they're just fighting. They're just back and forth and nobody will agree with anybody. And person a is not agreeing with person B, not because of what they're saying, but because of the organization that they're a part of, you know, and, and that's very much where the Senate was at in the prequels and why they were able to vote Valorum out and let Palpatine in and everybody rallied behind Palpatine. So there's, it makes a lot of sense that, you know, uh, then we move to 30 years later and we have people rallying behind Snoke um, because it's going to be very reminiscent of Palpatine. And um, we always look back on the old days with nostalgia. You know, we always like, oh, man, those were the days. Right. So at some point, you know, that's just natural and it's going to happen in the galaxy. And I think we see that in the book. We see people like Ransom Casterfo, like oh, the days of the Empire and what it could have been and things like that. And I found him to be an extremely compelling character because he does have that... It's an odd dynamic. It's not one that I expected to... Not one that I ever even thought about, let alone expected to to be seen in Star Wars, where he does like the idea of the Empire, 
but not the execution of the empire, which I think is a, a, a really compelling argument um, and really challenges Leia's point of view because, you know, at the end of the day, for her, the empire is nothing but pure evil. Um, and he comes from a background where Vader and the Empire did him and his family wrong, and he hates the people of the Empire, but the idea of the Empire uh, is something that he finds compelling and wants to move the galaxy towards. So what did you think of, of Kasterfo's character and kind of that weird dynamic that they put him in? I know I wasn't supposed to like him at first, but I liked him right off the bat. Um, it's just because he's good looking, of- isn't it? That's it. That's it. Yeah. That's it. You're so shallow. Just like this is a visual podcast, I was able to see him. (laughs) (laughs) No, but he, there's something like really magnetic to him. And I don't even know what it was at first. I think it was just understanding really early on that he was going to be a key character in this made him a little bit interesting and mysterious. But what strikes me about him isn't just where he's coming from or what he's able to do. It's how open-minded of a character he is. And I think that's actually what's more rare in the Star Wars universe. We don't have many characters who we see them at the very beginning and they're able to change their minds. You want to know who another character is that can do that? Padme. Ugh. Less. And I was actually going to say he reminds me the most of Padme. That's awesome. I love it. And it's it's because he has that calm demeanor. He is the smooth politician, but he is very empathetic to what other people are going through. And I think that just makes him very unique. And he just has this special bravery to him that makes him a really compelling character. And I'm still holding out hope that we're going to see him again. Um, I I really do not think he is killed at the end. I think we're going to see him make a comeback. Does it, at the end, does it actually say that he was supposed to be executed? It says he was supposed to be executed with the irony being that... Um, he signed the... You know, Leia doesn't... Yeah, Leia doesn't really believe in the death penalty. He does. He is very proud of the fact that he brought it back to his planet. And now that's what's going to kill him. Um, But the last we see him, he's just on his way there, knowing that he's going to die. It'd be really cool. We don't actually get that confirmation. Be really cool in nine if we, you know, he was one of the allies that comes back. you know, because I think in nine, like what you're going to have is the the resistance, you know, still kind of wavering, but being built back up and you'll have the signal being jammed or somehow, you know, the, the signal didn't actually get through to um, the rest of the galaxy and you'll have these allies coming in. It'd be really cool if, you know, you had uh, Ransom Casterfo and, you know, it was just a a quick like general Casterfo or whatever and you know only and the maybe maybe he looks an awful lot like would you say maybe Matt Smith or um Dominic what's his face from Lost and the Lord of the Rings? I could see that. I could see that. I was thinking more the guy who plays Gildoroy Lockhart. That's who I envision him as when I was reading. Would he be too old though? Because this, at this point probably but yeah. yeah, this doesn't take place that far ahead of the Force Awakens. No, it's so only I'm like five years. If any of those three, it's going to be Matt Smith. Yeah, that would make sense. But like when I'm just when I'm reading the book, that's who I who I always think of. Which it's kind of funny, you know. I, I I'm wondering now how much of a Harry Potter fan uh, Claudia Gray is because you have Ransom Casterfo, who's very much a Lockhart type character um, in terms of how he looks, not necessarily how he acts. But then in Leia, Princess of Alderaan, Haldo is basically a one to one to Luna Lovegood. It's interesting, Claudia yes. Gray. If, yeah, if you're that's listening, a great point. Tweet at us. Let us know if you like Harry Potter because that would be awesome. Um, so you have this dynamic set up between Leia and Kasterfo where they are kind of wary allies and both are having to kind of coax the other person into understanding their point of view, right? Like Leia, like I said, 
views the Empire as nothing but evil for completely valid purposes. Like, they blew up her planet right in front of her face. Um, and so, to her, Casterfo is just an ignorant youth. Um, actually, let me back up, because I think we have to talk about the fact that they actually start off having a really good relationship. Um, and they're breaking these party lines, and you're really optimistic about it. And then it's... Leia, who... No, I guess, no, they come together afterwards. They don't start out as... Yeah, they start off pretty rough. Pretty rough, she yeah, because she walks into the to office. his office, sees the... I think it's the Imperial Guard mask, or maybe some Stormtrooper helmets. Yeah. Um, she yeah. basically runs out of his office. Well, and she chews him out, too. Yeah. Yeah. And then... Yeah, yeah and, and then, then they he, come back together. He and, goes on a mission with her, and that's when they start to slowly gain that respect for each other. And that's that's part of the beauty of that relationship, is it didn't go from zero to 60. Yeah. They really built up enough reasons while they're on that mission to learn to trust each other, and they actually deserve, and they earn that trust, and they earn that respect from each other. It just doesn't happen Easily. And they, not just that, but they work together, they respect each other, they're friends, despite the fact that they disagree politically. Um, And and I think, you know, for those people who maybe didn't like how political this book was, like, I get that. But at the same time, I mean, it is a commentary. Star Wars has always been a commentary on our society. And I think it says a lot about what we're facing nowadays, where... You know, it could be in religious groups. It could be um, in social groups, in political groups, where it's just like they're wrong because they're wrong. And, you know, like, for example, you know, with a Muslim culture, like if you don't actually take a moment to understand the Muslim culture, then you're going to, you know, jump to those conclusions that they're all terrorists, you know, and, and, and I'm simplifying it, but I'm getting to a point is like, but if you actually take time to understand the majority of their culture and, and what they believe in, it's a, a very, it's one of the most peaceful religions that exists. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's a few people giving them a, a bad name. So when you look at like the empire, you have the same kind of thing. For, and we saw this in uh, Lost Stars, which it's nice that it kind of comes over and we see this idea as it's aged. We see in Lost Stars that the Empire is not a whole bunch of bad people. It's people who are looking for belonging. It's people who believe in what the Empire stands for. It's people who are just trying to pay their bills. you know. And it's the few elites. It's the Tarkins. It's the Vaders. It's the Mahdi's. It's the you know Emperor's. Those guys are the ones who are pulling the trigger on those terrible acts. Um, and so you, you have to look past the the stereotype. I think it's kind of the message there with Casterfo, because if you just look at like like Leia did, just look at his office, he's an empire worshiper. But if you actually talk with him, you start to learn what he's gone through and you see that it's not so much that he likes the the empire. It's that he likes the idea of order and stability because it's what he he lacked as a child. It's very uh, very Freud actually. Now that I'm thinking about it, <laughs> it's all about his childhood. Is, messed him he up. He makes it really compelling. You know, listening yeah. to the way he explains it, even as the reader and as the Star Wars viewer, I'm sitting there. I'm like, yeah, I'd probably support the Empire too. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. I feel like we could talk about just I want more Casterfo like material. I have a feeling you know what I I do, but oddly enough, he is only my second favorite new character in this book. Oh well, then who's your new favorite character? It has to be Grusonel. I think she is I, yes. the most badass character. Imaginable. She's so cool. It's so cool, and I mean the fact that. You know, we, we've spoken on this show before, um, Star Wars really giving the voice to those who don't have a lot of representation in the media. And when we talk about that, it's been so much, you know, person of color, um, women, people who have these other struggles who might not necessarily be in the majority. 
She, though, is one of the more unique ones. Not only is she a woman of color, she also has, you would call it like the invisible disease. And she wants to make sure that she's not defined by that and she's not held back from it any more than she has to be. And I think that having that also represented in Star Wars with such a cool character. She's just a cool character. She really is. So to have that be the representation is so crucial and so Star Wars. I would really like like a Greer comic where she's kind of like the the adopted daughter of the family, you know? Um, I've been, I've been waiting for it. I want to see her and Han really interact together because she was originally Han's mentee. Right. And then when she couldn't fly anymore, Leia was like, you know, she's family. I'll take care of her. I'll bring her in. So I want more of what Han and Leia saw of her to really make her become part of this family. And she is, so hardcore into protecting Leia and doing what's best for Leia. So that I think is, would be a really cool relationship to start to uncover a little bit, but it's just Greer is such a cool character. Yeah. And with the Han Solo comic, they did a great job showing a race in comic form. You know, the the idea of that is not necessarily something you're like, oh, yeah, space racing. Yeah, that should be in a comic, right? It it fits a lot more in like resistance, but they did such a good job with it. I could definitely see um, some kind of like racer circuit series um, where you have Greer and and she's and, you know, you could kind of have the uh, the old it's kind of like from cars, you know, you have the the young buck who wants to show up the old veteran and the old veterans always like, you know, pushing them back in place and then one day you know she steps up and actually beats the legendary Hansel. there's a lot that i think you could could do with her character um and the interesting thing is it's it would have been really easy just to make her this like i'm a badass character you know like here's person of color a who's super like a superhero flying a spaceship because her her planet is all about like taking risks and they have this really hardcore alcohol that nobody else can drink, you know, and yeah, I love that. It it, it could have she could have easily just become this cliche and yeah. she at the same time is representative of her culture and is the antithesis of her culture because her her hubris and her just headstrongness also becomes her flaw, you know, and it's what causes her um, to have issues. And that's where we get to, and I think that's the the um, the interesting thing there is you have her and she appears so strong the whole time and it's not until the end that you really start to see her weakness, but she's so strong at that point that weakness doesn't become a problem. You're really able to feel the sacrifice that she's making for Leia because she believes in Leia. So when you get to Last Jedi and Finn is saying, you know, people believe in Leia, right there, there's a person believing in Leia. Like, she's literally willing to die from a disease that she has... She gave up what she loved to to be able to live, right? She is living a life... Not that she's disgruntled about it or anything but she's not necessarily living her ideal life but at the end of the day she is willing to literally put her life on the line in a way that really nobody around her can understand this isn't just blaster bolts you know uh hitting her boom she's dead this is like a slow burn death that's going to happen um and she's willing to do that for leia so it, it it really makes you believe that people believe in leia the way i would put it is she is a very rare character in the fact that we get to really and truly see that her vulnerable vulnerability is actually her strength. And we see it not only physically, but we see it in the way that she's devoted to Leia. And we see it in the way that she starts to slowly open up to Joff and take care of Corsella. In all these different ways, we see this well-rounded character who, as strong as she is, she has these little chips in her armor, and it just makes her seem even stronger because of it. Yeah, absolutely. And you, and you mentioned Corsella, and I think she's an interesting topic in this book because 
this book was really, or excuse me, her character in this book was really supposed to make us feel that moment when she dies. So for those of you who aren't aware, the moment in The Force Awakens when they're blowing up Hosnian Prime and you um, you go to the planet and you see the people and it zooms in on uh, one lady that is Corsella um, from the book. And this book was supposed to build her up so that it, you know, you, you really felt that death. Um, but... This is the one thing I thought kind of missed a little bit, uh, and it's a very minor nitpicky thing, but I just didn't really feel the connection between her and Leia. Um, I think it was interesting that Leia kind of looked at her as a kid, and she kind of had to um, establish herself as a woman because it shows Leia as you know part of the old guard, which is very much you know what Kylo Ren is trying to push away. But I just didn't really feel like there was a lot to Corsella's character, and I think that's in major part because you put her basically in Leia's cabinet, and you're putting her right next to Greer, who is this character who just blows everybody else off the page when she's there. Yeah, I would agree in the sense that Corsella kind of missed the mark for me. Um, didn't really do a lot for her character. What she did for me, though, was confirm the side of Leia that I think is difficult to write. Uh, what I mean by that is there's this part where Corsella does betray Leia, and she turns her back on Leia when Leia absolutely needs her the most. The rest of the galaxy finds out Vader is her father. People are turning their backs on her. Grusonel is like, nope, that's my girl, sticking with you, Leia. Corsella, though, is just like the rest of the galaxy, and she says, This you're not who I thought you were. You're dangerous in some way. Um, she then comes back to Leia, though, and Leia brings her back in with open arms, and she's so quick to forgive her. So the way I see Corsella in this book isn't that she herself is a strong character but she's a way to show how strong Leia is. And she's a way that Claudia Gray proves once and for all, she knows how to write for Leia. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think in, to some extent, she's also supposed to show us like how the galaxy at large feels because this book was really marketed as a book where the galaxy finds out about Leia's connection to Vader. But to some extent, that's almost a, a side plot. Um, it, it, it's the turning point of the story, but you don't really see how badly it hurts Leia, I don't think. Um, you you see her kind of like, that's the final straw where she's just like, I'm worn out with, by all the BS and things like that. But So you, you do see how it affects her, but you don't really see like exactly how the galaxy is reacting. You don't spend time with a lot of these characters um, who are like aghast that she is Vader's daughter um and yeah and that's why i i said this i think when we were reviewing aftermath but i think this book should have been the trilogy i think aftermath could have all been one book and we would have been just fine or i think zero Bloodline books, would <laughs> preach um from your mouth to yoda's ears um <laughs> i think not to chuck wendig's though show, hey <laughs> Oh, man, talk about the galaxy betraying. So I um, stopped following him on Twitter just because, like, honestly, I got tired of it. Um, it was just getting annoying. Yeah, he really was. And then, like, the next three days, it's like he was retweeted all over my timeline. And I was like, didn't I just leave this party? I was like, Han. Oh, didn't we just leave this party? Anyway, sorry, continue with what you were saying. This should be the trilogy. What was I saying? Oh, this should be the trilogy. I think what would have been fun is if that first kind of act where – her and Castrofo are off on this mission together and they're finding out about this cartel. Um, what's the guy's name? Rurvin V. Rin Rurvin D. Rin Rurvin D. Yeah. 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 I think that would have been a great first book. The second book then being that betrayal from the galaxy when they find out about Vader and Leia's connection. And then the third book being that climax of okay, now this is all coming together and through these two things, 
we're finding out and we're confirming the existence of the first order. And I think you could have easily done three to 400 pages on each one of those topics and had that trilogy. Yeah, absolutely. And also you could have taken the time there to really show Mon Mothma's failure. Yeah, I want to I want to dig into that. Yeah. And hear what you uh what you think there. You okay. kind of caught me off guard with that a little hot take. So, it is a hot take. But it's not as hot as I'm making it sound. Um <laughs> I'm a bit hyperbolic if you didn't know that already, but I don't think she's a complete and utter failure. I think Mon Mothman is a great character. I think she did a great job obviously in restoring the Republic. But it's made very clear in here that Mon Mothma is the person that people rallied around. And it's really interesting because I'm rereading um, Rebel Rising right now, and they make a big point in there about the idea that people rally behind Saw. They don't rally behind necessarily what he believes in or what he's doing, but they rally behind Saw Guerrero. They need to believe in a person, Um, which it's made pretty clear that the the Republic believed in Mon Mothma. And when she stepped down, there was this void um, that was left that they weren't really able to fill. And I think that the combination of that and her speed by which she demilitarized the galaxy was a major, major flaw. Um, Again, it's, it's not that she did a bad job. I think she just overcorrected and didn't really learn from the mistakes of the past. Um, and I think we get a lot of that in, you know, the force awakens and the last Jedi. And I don't necessarily think it's like something that should take away from these characters. Like I'm joking when I say Mon Motham is a complete failure. Like, obviously she's not a complete failure. She's pretty great. But the biggest flaw that these, the, the rebel generation had is they didn't really learn from the mistakes of the generation before them, the generation that created the Empire. Because Luke, you know, as far as we can tell, created a Jedi Order very much in the vein of the prequels. I think that's made pretty clear by the robes that he's wearing um, at the training temple. And you have Mon Mothma, who I think really overcorrects in her pursuit of demilitarization when there were still these threats out there. Um, and because she saw, again, the military as nothing but evil, because that's what she'd seen. Um, so it, it, it's understandable. But then again, she didn't really set up people at, for the future. Um, she was that person that people rallied behind and very much like Saw, just in reverse. Like Saw dies and his movement pretty much dies. Because people rallied behind him and he didn't create leaders to come after him. And I think Mon Mothma is kind of the reverse of that, it, you know, in, in a more positive fashion. Is she did a great job. She got everything set up for the galaxy. But we end up falling back into this pitfall that we, you know, we've always been in. This cycle we've always been in. Because she didn't really establish complete um, change and set up the next generation to take that change and run with it. Interesting. So you're saying it's almost like she was the opposite of, I'm thinking of Hamilton, uh, how George, you know, they have that great song where George Washington decides that the only way for America to actually be a successful government, be a successful country, is if he steps down because he doesn't want to become synonymous with the new country. Yes. He wants it to be able to stand on its own, be its own thing. And Mon Mothman did not do that. Yeah. And she, yeah, I, I mean, I can't really add anything to that. That's saying it perfectly. Um, I think that one of the jobs of, one of the most important jobs of a leader is um, to to mold that next generation. Um, and we get glimpses of that every now and then with, um, you know, Leia and how she um, kind of tutors her. But with Leia, you see Leia impacting Finn and impacting Poe and impacting um ray you know like she's changing the lives of and setting up these leaders of tomorrow to go out and be successful and mon mothma maybe not so much you know but then again like she had the most difficult job in the world like being able to be at the level of george washington in terms of like 
insight and capacity is almost unheard of. You know, he was literally lightning in a bottle. Um, So I don't think it should take away from Mon Mothma, but I do think it needs to be considered that maybe she didn't do the best job. Maybe she over-course corrected in, in terms of setting up the galaxy. But that's one of those, you know, clashing sabers points that we could debate until the end of time. I really want to jump back into the the plot line about the First Order um, because it's really interesting that you have these Amaxian warriors who we see are kind of building the First Order, or at least we think they're building the First Order. And through this book, we kind of learn that the First Order is not just depending on one thing to build them. It's not just the remnants of the Empire, but they're pulling from all these different alleyways so that if something like the Amaxium Warriors falls apart, it's like, okay, well, we won't have those guys. We'll get these guys. Um, and, and I found that really, really interesting. What was your take on the First Order in this book? I wish they played a bigger part of it, actually. Um, I felt like so much, you know, really the first two thirds were focused on those Maxon warriors and you understand why at the end of it, you know, like you said, they are a piece of the puzzle. They're just one strategy the first order is using, but I would have really liked throughout the book to have the first order sprinkled in a little bit earlier and a little bit more often just because by the time we made that connection, to be honest, the first time I read it, it was really confusing, I remember. Um, it was it was kind of a lot of a, wait, hold on, let me go back 10 pages. Did I read this right? How is this connecting? And I know I always say I hate when books dumb it down or assume that the audience is an idiot, but this one just had so many new characters, new organizations to keep track of that by the time the First Order tied into it, it was just very, very hard to place where all these pieces were actually set. Yeah, it took me, I mean, I think I've read this book like three times now, so it, it's kind of taken me time to come to terms with that because it is a little bit confusing because you feel like, okay, they're this foreign threat. Well, no, they're the First Order, but then they get destroyed, so then they can't be the First Order because that doesn't match up. Um, so, yeah, it is a little bit um, muddy there, but... Because the story is so much a, a character study um, for all of these characters, the new and the old, um, I think you kind of get the point there with, hey, the First Order is out there collecting these warriors. You know, not just, these aren't just like, hey, Farmer A on the left, come on down, you know, because you, the rebellion, the Republic is not like helping you with taxes. This is like fully trained warriors. And one thing I want to see is, you know, the Maxim Warriors are these legendary warriors from the past. We need, like, a Terrace Kasi video game or yes. cartoon series of the Maxim yes. Warriors versus the Mandalorians. I want to see just that old-school, like... That's what's so great about Obi-Wan versus Jango in the rain. It's just an old school fight. You know, yeah, there's flying and there's technology and the force and things like that. But at the end of the day, it's just two guys in the rain fighting. And uh, throw in some good martial arts with that with the Amaxian Warriors, you know, the Mandos. That would be fantastic. That'd be so good. Oh, I'd be so for that. So, um, go, oh, go ahead. one thing too, though, I do want to definitely say is it. This book actually made a lot more sense when um, Aftermath Empire's End came out. Because Mm, the whole time, up until then, the whole time, I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, okay, that doesn't really answer the question. You know, I don't understand how the First Order still came to be and how they found these guys and why they reached out to them, why they were looking for these types of warriors and even these types of financial backers that we see and these politicians But now that we know, okay, these guys started decades earlier and they started in the unknown regions and now they're just kind of starting to come out of the shadows. When I first read this, it was like, where the hell have these guys been? Like, how did they, I still don't get where they came from. I get now how they're getting into power and how they're gaining influence, but Empire's End really started to tie some things together here. See, but I think that's kind of the point. 
um, I think Lucasfilm was being very intentional about not just directly saying like, this is how the First Order was created because it's supposed to be kind of hidden in mystery and shrouded in mystery so that you kind of understand why the galaxy, you know, particularly particularly the Republic, doesn't really view this as a threat because one little militia is not a threat. Um, but one little militia plus one little militia plus one little militia plus, you know, the remnants of the empire and you have a problem. Um, It's almost like the absolute um, foil of rebels. The first few seasons of rebels where it's okay. Here's all these little cells. They're not dangerous on their own, but now once they come together and they form the Alliance, they blow up the death star. Yeah. And it seems very similar with the first order because with, with rebels you even have like big wigs like vader coming in but once he realizes that kanan and ezra aren't really a a big threat he leaves and lets the inquisitors handle it um to go deal with the the bigger fish um of course you know that was a terrible misjudgment on his part because kanan and ezra are pretty great but yeah I i definitely think it's it's kind of the reverse of that um and even with the rebellion it's not quite clear you know the very specifics of how they came together we have the basic outline of these different cells came together we see mon mothma calling them all um to one we know that there's these fulcrum agents we even know that things weren't you know peachy until after rogue one you know when they were kind of forced to come together but you know exactly how they got these resources and exactly who all these cells are um we don't really know and i I think that's good because one, it opens it up for future storytelling, but also, you know, one of the great things about Star Wars is that it explains everything, and one of the great things about Star Wars is that it doesn't explain everything, and we have the time to, to you know, do podcasts on it and prophetize yeah, about our beliefs. Yeah, a little bit. Um, yeah. But one of the, the reasons I think that this book has such a lasting impact is because it's so close to um, The Force Awakens. And Mm -hmm. unto this time when this book came out, we really didn't have anything in that time period. Like we had, you know, the Aftermath trilogy, which, I mean, is maybe spans a year after uh, the Battle of Endor. You know, it's just the cleanup effort. But with this book, you get really close to The Force Awakens. Um, And one, and I wanted to get your opinion on this. I have a theory that... Ben already turned by this point Um, because by everything I understand, Luke didn't really tell. He he didn't go stop by Leia's and be like, hey, so, um, yeah, your son kind of turned to the dark side. Okay, bye. And then goes talk to like he just drops off the map, Um, which is part of the reason that Leia, you know, so wants to go find him is because she doesn't understand why he's gone. We don't actually see Ben in this book. We hear about Ben. We hear that Ben is supposed to be off with Luke on some training mission, but we don't actually see him off on these training missions. So I feel like he may have already turned by this point, that the events with Luke in the training temple had already happened. What do you think about that? Do you oh, think that's plausible? That's that's really interesting. I could definitely see that. Uh, the only so I actually have a different thought. I think that this book was the start of his turn, um, but that's that's a really interesting See, point. It because would really, yeah, it, it would explain away a lot of why she couldn't get through to Luke. It see it always seemed yeah. a little weird to me that Luke wasn't returning her calls or wasn't reaching it back out and, to her. He had to have known what was going on. And I think it it's one thing if. He finds out from Leia, you know, that Vader was her father and things like that. That's understandable. You know, it's like, okay, your dad was Darth Vader. He kind of tortured you, blew up your planet in front of your face. You don't really consider him your dad. Like, I get it. Right. But if he finds out from somebody else that Vader is her dad, you know, one, that means there's a leak somewhere because only the big three are supposedly supposed to know about this. Um, you know, probably Chewbacca and whatever. But then you also have that. I mean, think about when you're a teenager and 
your parents keep a secret from you and you find out and you're just like, what? And you just feel so betrayed and you just, I mean, it, it happens to, to all of us. And so then, you know, to have Ben already be gone, already turned to Kylo Ren when Leia thinks I'm going to get to him just in time and it's already too late, I think makes for a much more tragic character. And I, I think it makes Kylo Ren's anger at his family a lot more understandable. You know, um, because it's not just that that they came from this line, but it's that they kept this secret from him. You know, this was his family. He has a right to know, and they kept this secret from him. See, the timeline, though, that I see playing out um, incorporates this as still, you know, he is getting this news for the first time in Bloodline at this time. And what really hit for me and kind of solidified this thought for me was actually from Collider Jedi Council just a few weeks ago and something that they had said while talking about the most recent Darth Vader comic. Um, So here's my, here's my thought. Here's my theory. I think that Ben Solo grew up hearing these incredible things about his grandfather, Anakin and how he was the savior in the Clone Wars, how he was this great, powerful Jedi, how he fell in love with Padme. I think he really already idolized Anakin Skywalker as as he was Ben Solo, to the point where when he got the news that Anakin was Darth Vader and he was Darth Vader's grandson, it didn't make him hate Anakin. It made him defensive of Darth Vader. That's kind of how I see it playing out. And what Jedi um, Council on Collider was talking about a few weeks ago was they had said, you know, one of the most important lines that Kylo Ren says in Force Awakens that people now so often forget is, I will finish what you started. And now we need to think, what exactly did he mean by that? I don't think he meant taking over the galaxy. I don't think he meant uh, gaining control of the dark side. I think he meant I will finish what Anakin started being that very early motivation of stopping people from dying or bringing them back from the dead. And I think that that is maybe the secret that Kylo and Ben wanted to uncover in how to do that. And my Real big thought is maybe that's why Kylo Ren was so quick to kill Han Solo because he was confident that if I do this and this helps me gain Snoke's trust, this is just a stepping stone to being able to bring Han Solo back from the dead. So it's okay to do this now as long as everything works. So bottom line, the timeline I see is Ben Solo idolized Anakin Skywalker, found out he was Darth Vader in Bloodline, started to turn to the dark side because he was now defensive of Darth Vader and is now carrying on the mission of both Anakin and Darth Vader. Okay, first of all, I love this idea. Uh, <laughs> it's it's great. I love the idea that he's talking to Vader's helmet but really talking to Anakin. Um, I'm going I'm to agree with you with one tweak. Because okay. we get to the napkin bombing. And yes. this is something specifically that Ryan Johnson asked Claudia Gray to put in, was the napkin bombing. Okay. As far as we can tell, there's no connection to The Last Jedi. There's no mention of it. Leia doesn't even say in a brief, like, you know, anything about this first senator situation or the napkin bombing or anything like that, right? The only thing we have is that... It was handwritten. It was handwritten and nobody writes, you know, in, in pen anymore, except for maybe, you know, a young man with a calligraphy set by his bedside, Ben Solo, right? I think without a shadow of a doubt in my heart that it was Ben Solo who wrote that note to Leia. He, I think he knew what was about to happen. Um, I think he 
at that point thought it was necessary for that to happen to throw the the republic into chaos and to get the the sides really going against each other and and accusing each other and sowing those seeds of doubt but he didn't think that sacrificing his mother was the right thing to do at that time and and we see that in the last jedi he can't pull the trigger against mom he can pull the trigger against dad he can't pull the trigger against mom and so going off of your theory i think yes that's definitely like it definitely makes sense in the whole idea of maybe resurrecting Han from the dead um, is, is something that he's thinking about. But then he's the thing about Kylo Ren, the thing about Ben Solo is he's confident, but he's not really confident. Like he puts on this air of confidence to feel more powerful. So it would make sense that he would put on this air of confidence that like, yeah, you know, like I can kill Han Solo now do what I need to do and then later if it's convenient you know I can bring him back but he has that doubt about whether he can actually do it and he's not willing to willing to risk Leia for that so I think you can still have him be Kylo Ren at this point and all of that still line up because you got to consider the napkin bombing and I and you do you're you're totally right and that's why I mean scenes like that I think I said this to you earlier but I hope that by the time episode nine is done, this book becomes required reading. The same way Catalyst, to me, is absolutely required reading for anyone who sees Rogue One. I want, by the time this trilogy is over, to say the only way you're going to understand all of it is if you read this book, Bloodline. Yes and no. Um, I don't want to spend the the six months after episode nine explaining to everybody who refuses to read bloodline uh what's going on you know but catalyst you you can read it and we're we're like what one or two books away from that it's really close um i read catalyst before i went into rogue one and it added a ton to that beginning scene like that by the time that beginning scene happened the prologue happened i'm like already all in you know like I'm gripping the seat and, and everything. Um, whereas my fiance didn't really, I mean, she knew what was going on, obviously, but she wasn't, it wasn't like, oh my God, Lyra's here. And there wasn't that emotional connection to these characters already. So it doesn't take away from Rogue One if you haven't watched it, but it adds a ton um, and, and really makes those scenes with Jin and Galen uh, a lot more powerful. Same with, uh, with rebel rising and the rogue one novelization like those two really revolutionize how you how Jin looks at galen um and Mm -hmm. that adds a lot to that scene where she's you know seeing the the hologram so yes and no like i think if we get some more direct um stuff about like the napkin bombing for instance you know if maybe like he's he kylo mentions it like i was the one who saved leia i was the one who you know saved her from the bombing and didn't pull the trigger or however they would do that and people are like wait what bombing um and then you know that leads them back to bloodline i think that could be could be really cool and let's get like bloodline part two and part three like let's make yeah. this the diehard series of the of the star how, wars galaxy how about this how about bloodline this? with a vengeance how about we go back to Matt Smith being ransom caster foe. Anyone who is curious about him, now he can go be like, there's this awesome book, Bloodline, go read that. Oh, and now that we have Matt Smith and people are interested, we're going to do Bloodline Part 2 and Part 3 more about Ransom. That would be pretty cool. That would be pretty cool. I, I also think, think that like it. doing a Bloodline Part 2 and Part 3 is a chance for you to show those fans who aren't going to sit down and watch Resistance, um, show them how the Resistance got built and how we got to that point, and more particularly how the First Order got built. I think the Resistance, it's... It, the resistance is kind of obvious how you know it comes about for for the casual viewer like the nerds like us we're watching resistance and trying to get every nugget that we can out of it but for the general audience it's like hey there's these really bad people like people are going to stand up and fight against it okay that makes sense um but really building on that first order and how it came to be i think would be would be really cool i can't get like bloodline with a vengeance out of my head now 
Like what are the other what are the other Die Hard movies? Live Free and Die Hard, Live Leia um, and Die Hard. I don't know. Anyways, um, be honest, I was confused with the James Bond titles. Oh yeah. Oh man, what about a James Bond style series in the Star Wars galaxy? That Ooh. would be pretty cool. I mean, maybe that's what we're getting with a uh, Cassian show. Yeah, that could be. I could be. I'm really God 2019 guys. This is going to be the best. If you're if you This is our year, man. If this you, is our year. If you say you're a Star Wars fan and you're not completely overjoyed with everything. No, I shouldn't say everything. If you're not overjoyed with what 2019 is going to bring you, like you need to check your pulse. Like if you're not excited about one or two things, like that's one thing. But I mean There's something for everyone this year. There's literally something for everyone. Like, I'm not that excited about Galaxy's Edge because it's going to be a solid five years before I can go, right? Like, mm, okay, yay, Galaxy's Edge is coming. Like, it's going to be reality. That's awesome. I still haven't made it to Harry Potter land, so let's be realistic. But, Mm -hmm. like, even Celebration, which I'm not attending as of right now, I'm so pumped. Like, I'm already, like, planning on, like... That's my Super Bowl weekend. I'm going to be sitting at home all weekend watching the live stream. Yeah. Guys, it's going to be great. Star Wars is good. Yeah, Did you know that? Year. Star Wars is really good. I like it. I like it a lot. So, Something for everyone. Yes, there is. So let's go ahead and wrap up with our rankings. We do Lothcats on here because we're, you know, like to keep it funky. Um, funky like a tap dancing battle droid. So ranking it one to five how many loth cats do you give this Lindsay? i would give it a four because i do think that it could have been a little confusing in parts it would have been better served as a trilogy so you could expand on those confusing parts a little bit more for some more detail but overall it's claudia gray and leia the absolute dream team and it's the new characters in this that really really solidify it for me between ransom greer even you know joff is great but four out of five for me all right i was gonna say four before you said it and then i feel like that's just copying so (laughs) i'm gonna go 4.25 lothcats all right, that's fair. Ne- next time you get to go first. Okay, that's fair. No, I uh, I think it it misses a, uh, it misses on all those parts that you said, but n- this is one of those books, and this is what I love about Star Wars is I love being able to go back and reread things, um, watch things over again, and get a lot more out of it. Like Dark Disciple, I've reread a few times, and the last third of it still confuses the hell out of me. Um, like I get what's going on, but it just all happens so fast. Aftermath, same thing. Like, yeah, I get what's going on. It's just not that great. Um, but Bloodline, it's one of those books you can read like once a month and still get something out of. So I think it is up there in the upper echelons of of this. And I think here here's what will make 2019 truly the best Star Star Wars year ever. Okay. Get Claudia Gray on the flippin' story group. Yes. That would be so cool. Yes. Right? She gets Star Wars. Like, every interview I've heard with her, everything she's written, like, don't forget, guys, she wrote the one good part of a certain point of view, which is the Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon part. She wrote that. Okay? She doesn't just get Leia. She gets Star Wars. And that's coming from somebody who thinks the story story group is doing a great job. Like, I'm, yes, if Kathleen Kennedy wants to step down, I think, like, Dave Filoni would be a great lead for, you know, the story group and everything like that. Yes. But I'm not one of those, like, fire Kathleen Kennedy people. But No, I think she's Claudia Gray. I think Dave's doing good with what he's doing. But Claudia, and I mean, hey, we at least get to look forward to another Claudia Gray book this year. So there's that. Is that the first? What comes out first? Queen Shadow or? Um, Queen Shadow comes out in March, March. February. And then we have to wait. No, it's March. March is the first release. I remember that. And then we have to wait till like, what, June or something? Oh, God. Guys. Um, no, I think April for Master and Apprentice. Oh, is it? Okay. All right. We're fine. Yeah, We're June all fine is here. June going to be Thrawn, if I'm not mistaken. 
This is all off the top of my head. Now that sounds about right. That sounds about right. Let me check because I'm going to be super impressed with myself if I just got that all right. All right, let's see. Queen Shadow. I should I should narrate this. Is Lindsay March fifth? Is looking at her phone. <laughs> Slowly. This is what we have to do. It's an audio podcast, so we have to Master make you visualize. Apprentice is April sixteenth. So yeah, that would leave Thrawn in June. Okay. God. Star Wars is good, guys. Star- oh, Thrawn is July right now. For those of you prophetizing that Star Wars is dead, just look at the calendar for 2019. <laughs> we're we're going to be fine. We're going to be here for a while. This is the golden age right now. And we at Clashing Sabers are going to be here for a while, too. We're not going anywhere, and we hope you will come hang out with us over on the Clashing Sabers Facebook group. That's really the place where... Um, the community itself is most active because Clashing Sabers is not just like us doing podcasts and writing articles. It's not the the four or five of us, um, you know, and those who, who have contributed before. It's not just us. It's really a community. Um, I actually just, we had a, a great new member join today. Um, I'm not going to say his name just in case he doesn't want it said, um, but we were talking back and forth and he was really digging one of the articles I did and had a YouTube channel that he shared with me that I'm going to check out some videos on um, and stuff. So he's a member over there now. And if you want to come join us over there, like share your content. This is a place like this is a community of creators um, where we encourage you to share whatever your Star Wars thing is, no matter whether you, you know, think it's the best thing on the Internet or you're just like, hey, I put this together so that like my kids could listen to it 20 years from now, whatever it is like we we want to be a part of that. Come join the I don't know what we're going to call it. We have to think of an, a name for this group. For the time being, we'll call it the, the health and fitness group of the Clashing Sabers community. I'll think of a cooler name than that. Um, come join us over there. Of course, Twitter, at Clashing Sabers. And please, 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 please leave us a five-star review um, on the iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast at. Um, I am going to start doing some more giveaways and things like that i'm working on organizing that now for those of you who are contributing um over there we really really appreciate that and Lindsay, you want to plug your stuff yeah absolutely you guys can of course find me on the facebook group now for clashing sabers uh really really love a lot of those discussions going on there and hop in pretty often and of course the new facebook group will be setting up you can also find me on Instagram, Fuel uh, Full Force Lindsay, and that's really documenting um, kind of my fitness journey to get back up to speed after an injury. So, of course, using Star Wars for that. So, Instagram over at Full Force Lindsay or on Twitter, Miss Lindsay J. Awesome. And until next time, keep reading, keep writing, but whatever you do, don't burn the sacred text. All right, by this point, you know how this goes. Their stuff, their stuff, our stuff, our stuff. Not associated with Lucasfilm. Kathleen Kennedy, give me a call. Dave Filoni, I'm there if you need me. Our thoughts? They're our thoughts. They don't reflect Lucasfilm or anybody else associated with this stuff. So, if you don't like it, we're sorry. If you do like it, great. Let us know either way on iTunes, on whatever podcatcher you're listening to us on. Rate us, review us, share us, tell your friends about us, and dadgummit, whatever you do, just don't burn the sacred text.